Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by the City of Sevierville, the East Coast's hottest, most affordable eco-travel destination for families, couples, and holiday weekends. If you want to relax, reconnect with nature, and have the time of your life, please check out visitsevierville.com. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. Also, don't forget to check out our contest section on our website for your chance to win one of our cool prizes. For more information, please visit www.theorganicview.com forward slash contest. Education is truly the key for every child's future. Reading is something that many people take for granted, yet there's so many children who do not know how to read. On today's show, David Dobson will be my guest to talk about Dolly Parton's Imagination Library which is located in beautiful Sevierville, Tennessee. So I'd like to welcome to the show Mr. David Dobson, President of the Imagination Library. Good afternoon, David, and welcome to the show. Thank you, June. It's great to be here. David, you have a fascinating background. Could you tell our audience about yourself and how you came to meet Dolly Parton? Well, I, um, you know, I'm a, a person of the South and all my family, so all this is pretty much around home, Tennessee and North Georgia, sort of typical 60s and 70s life in the sense as coming of age at that time I was really attracted to and inspired by the events of the day to be more socially minded and socially involved in my life and my work and so those days really led to an entire career. I'm kind of fortunate that I've always been around home but yet I've also been able to travel the world so I get to bring the best of the South with, you know, the uh, inspiration of the world, and that's really kind of defined my life. I had was working, actually, as the director of Catholic Charities in uh, East Tennessee because we were a new diocese and pretty happy with that job for a long period of time. But then the uh, bishop, who was the founding bishop and really a mentor of mine, was moved by the Vatican to become the bishop of West Palm Beach, Florida. So he went sort of from the Catholic backwaters of East Tennessee to, you know, having the Kennedys as his parishioners. And we went down for the installation. At that time, coming back, it was, you know, I'll tell you, it's a real quick, but very, very magical story. Over the years, I'd been asked to do a number of things, but always um, declined them because I enjoyed working for the church. And then on the way back home, we all were talking on the plane about, you know, what's next? Because when a new bishop comes, you know, everything is really on the table in terms of what could change. And I said to my one of my colleagues in the diocese that, you know, for the first time in many, many years, I'm kind of open maybe to something different as long as, you know, I met certain criteria that I had. So we, we landed, I drove home, my wife and I drove home. Our youngest daughter met us at the door, said, oh, so glad to see you. And so-and-so wants you to call her tonight, and it's very important. And so my first thought was, I'm tired, kind of emotionally and physically drained. I really don't want to talk to anybody on the phone. I really would just like to go to bed. And then, of course, your conscience kicks in. Okay, if it's important, I'll give her a call. So I call her, and she said, you know, an interesting thing happened to me today. I was talking with someone who is uh, works very closely with Dolly Parton, and I was living here in Sevier County. And she said, he said, the one thing in Dolly's life and work that is not 
fulfilled its potential is the foundation and how her her good works can also be as important as her singing and her writing. And so he said, uh, you know, if we if you could ever recommend one person to do that, who would you recommend? And she said, I recommended you. So I was like, wow, that's an interesting thing and certainly interesting timing given what I've just been through the last three days. She asked if I could pass my interest on. I said, sure, I'm open to anything. And really inside of eight weeks, everything changed. And I was asked by uh, Ted Miller, who's the person I was referring to, to meet with Dolly. And she was filming a uh, commercial here in for Dollywood. And this was being been in like in 1999. And she got in the back seat of a van. She was sitting in there because it was cold outside while she was waiting for filming. And you know, so I found myself sitting nose to nose, knees to knees with her, and she just started chatting away. And because we kind of have a very similar background, uh, it was very easy, very comfortable. She makes people feel very comfortable. But you still had this voice in the back of your head saying, God, that's Dolly Parton you're talking to. And after a little bit, you know, she was had to get back on the set, and she stuck her head out to Ted and said, I like him. And so that's how it happened. Recently, I visited Sevierville, and I had the pleasure of visiting Dollywood as well as just taking a tour of the city and visiting so many amazing places, including the Smoky Mountains. And the one thing that was consistent was the love that people have for Dolly Parton. And I found myself just mesmerized and also just amazed by how not only generous a person she is, but how incredibly considerate she is. She really pays attention to every single detail. And this isn't just when it comes to her performances or anything as far as her work as an entertainer, but when it comes to details for any project that she's involved with. And with the whole concept of the Imagination Library, so much detail has gone into this whole effort. I was just really so overwhelmed with happiness for someone like Dolly to give back to so many people, not just in her hometown, but on a global scale. So can you talk about the actual library itself, what it's about, and how many people at this point do you reach? Sure. Um, and it was it was really founded in 1995 at the at the sort of tail end of that year, but really 96 was the first full year. And quite honestly, the the whole concept uh, that was created then is pretty much exactly the same concept that we're working with today. But basically, the the goal was how in Sevier County, the original goal, can we better prepare children for kindergarten? Uh, in those first crucial years. So they come to kindergarten really excited about books, excited about learning, because it's, I can't say that it will, the lack of that kind of readiness will be something that could never be changed, but statistics clearly bear out the, the fact that if you're kind of starting school behind, the chances are really good you're always going to be behind. And so, uh, but we had to, she had to do it in her dolly way which was not through lecturing people or, you know, moralizing about what parents should do, but about inspiring them. So it's a very simple concept is 
the best thing about learning is reading, and the best thing about reading is books. And so uh, she knew that it had to be lots of books. It had to be regular on a monthly basis, and they had to be brand new, and they had to be, a, like you mentioned, an attention to detail, a very carefully crafted collection so that each book led to another. And the, so the Imagination Library was born and served a couple thousand kids a month here in Sevier County. I came on board in 99, uh, so we've been around a little bit, but there was a lot of uh, room for improvement in terms of the book composition and the possibilities of growth. And uh, simply fast forward today, I can you know, fill back in some of the details as to how that happened, but in 99, we were mailing to 2,000 children a month in Sevier County, and today we're mailing over, over 850,000 books a month in four countries to over 2,000 different communities. So the growth has been, been phenomenal. That is amazing. Exactly. How does the program work? How can a parent register their child? Well, it really first and foremost starts with the leaders of a community deciding to bring the program to their community. So participating communities, they pay for the book and the mailing cost that we've negotiated, which are quite low in the U.S. It's $2.08 per child per month for the book and the mailing and um, the packaging. And most importantly, we put the child's name on the book, on the mailing label. And then Dolly absorbs all of the overhead that makes all of this possible. So the sort of winning formula of local funding and participation, removing overhead out of the financial equation, using our expertise, our delivery system to get the book to the child, it's just a great combination that's worked extremely well. So for the individual parent, you know, it really depends upon is their community participating. Our hope is, of course, that one day in the U.S. and in all countries that every child will be eligible because the entire country will be participating. And we do have some examples and steps in that direction. In the state of Tennessee, every child is eligible to participate. So uh, for a parent, all they have to do is go to the website and go to local library, go to other kind of key touch points, and just simply fill out a short registration form and register their children. But unfortunately, you know, in other places, uh, you know, you do have to wait for your community to be turned on to it, and we work very hard in promoting it to communities and professional organizations and networks and community leaders and business leaders and, you know, all the kind of people who, if they want it to happen in their community, they do have the ability and the capacity to bring the program to their children. Say, for example, teachers or homeschoolers that want to bring this into their community, what would the process be? Well, the first step would really obviously be to be in dialogue with us. We have a couple of people in the U.S. that kind of split the U.S. into two parts, and they would uh, there would be contact with them to to gauge interest, to you know get an idea of the size of the community uh, overall, the number of children under five, you know, just kind of scope it out. Then our folks really work with them to kind of walk through the process. And, and usually, by and large, the majority uh, of the time and the interest and I guess the challenge is financial. You know, how do you raise the money locally, you know, to, to launch and sustain the program? 
the mechanics of it are really easy. I mean, it basically requires somebody or somebody's locally entering the information we need into a database that we provide, and then we take care of everything after that point. So they don't ever have to worry about book selection, book delivery, procuring books, shipping books, uh, all those kind of things. The system we've created uh, does all that and, and, like I said, still personalizes the book to each child. But by and large, the biggest and most, you know, biggest area of time and, and I guess area of greatest challenge is financial raising the money locally. In Tennessee, one last thing, is a model we'd like to replicate in all 50 states. It's even easier for the local community because the state government pays for half of that cost. So essentially, locally, they just have to raise the equivalent of a dollar four cents per month per child. State pays the other half, we pay the overhead, and voila, you have uh, an entire state participating. I actually met a number of kids that are on the list, have been receiving the books since they were babies, and some of these kids actually had the books with them, and I was just blown away. These kids love the books. They can recite the books at this point, but it's something that is for them. Mm -hmm. It's something that they own, and it's something that they are so proud of. And it, I really do feel that this program has not just helped them to read, but it really helps them to build and to grow and to become very productive members of society that will always remember that someone like Dolly Parton gave to them something so valuable. When they grow up, perhaps that might be something that they might consider. Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the things that I think is really the most underlying uh, dynamics of the whole program is really the emotional aspect of it. You know, it, this is much more of a effort that's aimed at the heart than the head. I mean, you know, it's certainly the same goal, but uh, first of all, the anticipation and the arrival of the book and the excitement of receiving mail and that being a book and, uh, you know, uh, really becoming the advocate for reading because the child always will say, you know, read it to me, uh, is really what, what we're aiming for is that moment because children are, we're up, you know, like adults is like, you generally do what you love to do and you avoid what you don't love to do. And so our goal has been how do you build that love and certainly the process of anticipating receiving the book is part of that love and, and you know, certainly the nature and content of the books. But you really hit the nail on the head, Jim, which a lot of people miss, I think, and there's also the fact of it's a personal message to the child that somebody like Dolly Parton cares about me. And there is no greater contribution to a child's self-esteem and self-worth than, than that. The children that I met were so incredibly excited, even though they were already in grade school at this point. And the way that they spoke about Dolly Parton, it was as though she was their personal, like their little best friend. Mm -hmm. And the love that they have for her is just tremendous. And I was just so touched by that. I spoke to a couple of kids throughout my visit to Sevierville, and I can't tell you, it was just such an amazing thing to witness, to see these kids embrace education and also the fact that Dolly Parton sent them these books. I also learned that they referred to her as the book lady, which is something she's really proud about. 
She is. Uh, that that sort of name got hung on her very early on because, and she really loved it. Um, yeah, at the time I wasn't so sure because you know she was sort of this is a while back, and she certainly was in the um, midst of, or still has a great career, of course, was just at a different point. And but she really grasped the title and loved the name and um, is doing her best to to live up to it because there's you know they expect a, a lot from the book lady and so the book lady's got to deliver and Dolly Parton knows how to deliver. Dolly once said, quote, my daddy just loved it when all the little kids would call me the book lady. That meant more to him than the fact that I'd become a star and work my butt off. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting and then to find out about her own family history really made sense, especially the passion that she has as far as children's education. Could you take a moment and share with our listeners a little bit about Dolly's upbringing? I guess the simple way to put it is quite poor. She often goes, they never consider themselves poor, but let's just say they were without a lot of material belongings or income. And she's one of 12 kids. When her parents were in their mid-30s, they'd already had 12 kids. And so, you know, it was uh, a lot of challenges on that. And so, again, if you think back into the 1950s and around here, uh, you know, there was a really rural area and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity. And because so much of what people did involved working in the small farms, you know, a lot of people didn't go to school. In fact, most people didn't go to school or never graduated. And her father obviously being the generation in front of her, all those things were even more pronounced as obstacles. And so he never learned to read or write. And she often refers to him as really the smartest man she's ever met because he was able to provide for his family and really, again, some daunting uh, obstacles, you know, do quite well uh, to keep a roof over their head and food on the table and, you know, a future ahead of them. But she's thought, just said many times, and I thought, gosh, if he only had an education and read or write, there's no telling what he could have done because no matter how smart you are, if you can't read or write, it's limiting. And so that was really her inspiration to create the Imagination Library, that and friends and relatives all around her who were similarly limited by their lack of reading skills and writing skills. And she, on the other hand, although not the greatest student in the world in terms of grade-wise, you know, did graduate from high school and really loved reading and writing, obviously being a songwriter. And to this day, except her and my wife are the two most voracious readers I've ever met in my life. And they just read a book, always reading a book, and they have their own special connection between the two of them because of, of sharing books and reading books. But, uh, you know, Dolly's, that's where it all started, really. Can you talk about literacy in this country? Do you know what the statistics are as far as the number of children that cannot read or write? I don't I don't know the exact statistic, but it's also a, a little bit misleading in terms of today's world because illiteracy or uh is really defined as reading and writing at a third grade level. So, you know, you take away people who are moving here from other countries and don't know English and those kind of problems and and challenges they face. So for the most part, I don't know the number, but the problem isn't that people don't know how to read or write a lick, as we would say around here, is that their proficiency is so under what is required today. Because if you're reading at a third grade level, 
it's really hard to navigate the complexities of modern day world and to, to obviously flourish. So it's really a question of how do we get people at the grade level they're supposed to be in reading? That's the goal, and that's where so much energy is now being invested in the U.S. And what's interesting about it all is that more and more as everybody takes another swing at this, they, they, they come to the place where we started, which is if you're going to impact a child reading at grade level, because if a child is not reading at grade level at third grade, 75% of those not reading at grade level at third grade, this is a national statistic, aren't going to be reading at grade level as a senior in high school. So, uh, you know, it is really important to achieve that milestone and the most important time to uh, really allow a child to read at a grade level at third grade is zero to five. So that's really the, the place where so much, even though there's a lot of time and attention and more being placed on it, uh, there is so much more investment that can be done to ensure that every child has that opportunity to arrive at kindergarten and then at third grade to read. There's just so much more we could do rather than not doing that and then end up paying all the costs on the back end for remediation and illiteracy and, you know, a crime. And because when you look at all of sort of the worst social statistics, no matter what they are, the common denominator, whether it's a, a prison statistics or domestic violence statistics, are that the majority of the, uh, the folks are reading at below their grade level, don't have much of an education, and struggle with reading and writing. So it's it's really profoundly clear what the problem is and what needs to be done about it. Can you talk about Dolly Parton's book called I Am a Rainbow? I really thought that this was such an amazing book. Yeah, it really is. It's a cute little book. I mean, she she has her friend who illustrated it. It's the daughter of Buddy Sheffield, who wrote with her and for her for many years on the Variety Show and many other projects. And uh, Heather had the notion of the illustrations. And then, of course, one thing Dolly is a master at is rhyming. And so this was aimed at a really, uh, you know, a young a young child, two, three years old, but by associating colors with moods and really just trying to, through the illustrations and uh, the rhyming, you know, make those associations and and really, you know, understand that, hey, sometimes you're feeling blue and sometimes you're green with envy or jealousy, but how do you get to feeling uh, in the pink? David, can you take a moment and share with our listeners some of the new activities that have been going on with the library and some of the people that you've been reaching? Yeah, it's really an exciting time for us because uh, in December of 14, Dolly approved uh, the plan we've been working on for the last half of last year. And basically, there's a number of wonderful things. First and foremost, because we are now printing all these books for ourselves, we're continually able to do things inside the book, uh, title-specific reading tips for the parents for every book, uh, We've got some flaps that we've added that tell the Imagination Library's story. We obviously can bring in uh, more books from a higher price point now, and not necessarily that price means quality, but sometimes that's true. Uh, the merger with Penguin and Random House allows even more uh, authors to be available to come in. So we really look forward to continue to have a very diverse imagination library that accurately and adequately reflects the diversity in the country. 
and that have, uh, you know, keep on with all the, the key themes that we think are important developmentally. Expansion-wise, you know, we're, we're heavily uh, entrenched in the U.S., Canada, U.K., and Australia, about to add New Zealand later this year. And, and our goal really is to be sending the Imagination Library to one out of every 10 children in all these countries, which would bring us up to about 2 million uh, children a month. And that's really our goal within the next six or seven years. Secondly, we're going to try to continue to think of ways to bring music into it. Dolly uh, is about to release a children's uh, CD of children's music inspired by the books in the Imagination Library. It's a wonderful collection. We do have one track available for a free download on the website just, you know, as a, as a teaser. Uh, but that, how we fully integrate that is a great new uh, horizon that we'll be crossing. And then finally, I think um, we realize that as time goes on and we think down the road, the kinds of children and the kinds of countries that are now available and, and are hopeful that we'll participate with them are very different than the U.S. and Canada and Australia. You know, these are the emergent countries, the developing countries. Our system of using the mail would not hold up there, but we do have the ability to personalize the books. And so our next great frontier and Dolly's next great frontier is how do you bring the magic of books uh, and really the value of books to children in countries who simply have no books at all. So we have we have a lot of uh, some testing to do there and some capacity assessment of how we would do it. But her desire, my desire, is that that's what we should and could be doing. So that's really going to be our our future when you look uh, five to twenty years down the road. Thank you. David, can you share with our listeners the website for the library and, once again, the, the contact information so that if there are any folks out there that, w that want to get their community involved with this program, they can connect with you? Sure. Uh, we encourage everyone to visit our website. It's imaginationlibrary.com, and they can certainly always call our offices here in Sevier County at 865-428-9606. Thank you, and thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been a real pleasure just to talk to you about all the amazing things that you and Dolly Partner are doing, and I hope you come back with even better news and more people that you've reached and share your progress with our listeners once again. Thank you, June. It's been a real pleasure being with you today. And, folks, please check out the companion article that will follow this interview, which will be posted at theorganicview.com, along with a number of the photos that I took when I visited. And there will also be the information for the Imagination Library website. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, everyone.